My heart is full this morning of joy for what God is doing in our congregation. I've been in conversations with a number of people across the congregation. There's still more conversations I have to have. So hopefully by the end of the day, you'll identify yourself and I'll have them with you too. But because of these conversations, I'm learning of a movement that God is putting across our congregation. And um, the the purpose of this morning is just going to celebrate that, okay? So if you came prepared to take notes, don't. Probably not going to help you. I want to frame the day in, though, with this powerful story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. How many have heard the story before? Let's just see. So I really can't tell you anything that you don't already know. My favorite line in the story is in verse 44. It goes like this. And the dead man came walking out, his hands and feet still wrapped in the linens and the cloth around his face. The image of that is indelibly stamped in my mind because it has got to be one of the most shocking, terrifying miracles Jesus ever performed. Now, I realize y'all have been to funerals and you want Jesus to wreck that one too by raising the dead. And I know that it appears to you that it never happens, but if you want to get kind of the flavor of what's happening here, imagine the next funeral you go to as you walk out of the chapel in the cemetery, the dead person comes out of the casket and starts walking out with you and gets in your car and you drive home with them and they live with you. That is the worst, best day you ever had. It does not matter how much you believe, you're probably talking about that. That's what happened in this story. I got a firsthand taste of this. A few years ago, we put uh, an art gallery up in College Church. And so the only place for it was this hallway out here on the east side of the building. And we had portraits and photographs and pieces of calligraphy on the wall. And some people had brought in artifacts that we had placed either on shelves or on the floor. I knew the gallery was coming. I didn't know what was in it. And someone had submitted a full-sized, I think Lazarus, laying flat out on his back like this with a shroud over his body and his hand reaching up like that. It was quite a visual. I think it was called Raising Lazarus. You might have seen it. Walk by, see this dead person with his hand coming out of the grave. The first time I saw it was when I got here Sunday morning at 4.30. (laughs) And I was not prepared for this. And I remember walking down the hallway and I looked over and just saw this white shroud and then I looked down again and there's no lights on. We save energy that way. And this person's hand is reaching up like it's coming to grab me. Holy cow. Man, I don't scare easily, but every molecule in my body was just leaping to get out. Man, I thought if Lazarus coming back from the dead, he can have the daggum church. I'm out of here, man. You can't catch me. I must have stopped running at the end of the hall. That's the shock of this. There's this sense of which, oh, we want this to happen, and then all of a sudden it happens, and 
Now, what are you going to do with it? That image of a person who is dead coming back to life and then being unwrapped is indelibly stamped in my mind. I thought of it not long ago when I talked to a woman who met Christ and she is just now beginning to learn that Jesus is the most powerful person in her life. And he loves her by name. It's no religion to her. It's not just a belief system. This is an existential encounter with the living God. But she is not yet able to break her addiction to meth. And so she is like Lazarus, somewhere between raised from the dead and fully alive. I thought of a young man that I was working with who is hyper-competitive, and every now and then when he's losing, it gets in the way, and he, um, oh man, he loves Jesus. I just, again, this is not just a religion to him. And he loves his family and he loves his church. But when this happens, it's like something comes, he starts to get angry, sometimes violent, sometimes using profanity. And then immediately after that, he apologizes. And like a lot of guys, they kind of crawl into a hole after they've done something like that. They wait till it's safe and then they come back into the relationship. And I thought he's alive, but he is not fully alive. So he's walking out of the grave with the clothes still wrapped around him. This is the one miracle where Jesus involves other people. It's why it attracted me. What it says is that Jesus' call is to two people, not one. The first thing he does is he calls the dead back to life. Let me set the context for this. In the Bible, something is said to be alive when it is growing, reproducing, connecting, experiencing, loving, attaching itself to its environment. When something is becoming more and more what it was designed to be, it is said to be alive. And when something in the Bible is dead, it isn't just not breathing. It is diminishing in its power. It's getting smaller. It's detaching itself from its environment. It is becoming vacant and unresponsive. Less and less what it was designed to be. It craves Pleasure, but the pleasures never satisfy. Death. You still there? So it's clear now that not everybody dead is in a grave. Some of them are walking dead. They're undead, but they're not alive because they're still doing things that separate them and diminish them and take the splendor out of their life. So if you think of it like that, everything that you are doing right now that detaches you from people 
that you love. Everything that you're doing which never satisfies, it diminishes you, makes you less responsive to God and to relationships. Even though you're a follower of Christ, you are perhaps walking out of the grave with the wrappings still on you. So the first thing that Jesus does is call to people who are dead. And when he does, well, something happens that only Jesus can do. Suddenly, they, their heart starts beating again. They start caring. There's passion. There's energy. There's movement. There's desire. And you cannot speak that into a person. Me and I don't know how many times I have talked hours with somebody. It's like there's a wall. Have you done this? It's like there's a wall. He said, I can't get through that wall. And then all of a sudden, mm, there's a miracle. Next time you see them, they care. You go, gosh, that's a miracle. The second thing Jesus does is he talks to the people around Lazarus and says, now I want you to take the grave clothes off. No, wait, you're the one that raised them. Why don't you take them off? Well, because I do what only I can do. And then you'll do what only you can do. I'll raise them. But you got to take the grave clothes off. You have to disentangle them from all of those wrappings of death. One of those is supernatural and it happens generally overnight. That's the raising. The other one is long, arduous, frustrating, and messy work. You with me? But the gospel is both of these things. The gospel is that in Jesus Christ, God has not only raised us from death, but he is through the body of Christ taken off the wrappings of death. Some of you are part of that. Our mission in this church is to make not only more disciples, but better. Not only to raise people, but to actually unwrap them. And what we're finding is as we do this, the ones that are becoming unwrapped are the most powerful evangelists we have. Look at this uh, video, if we can call it up. Well, when I um, was going through my transformation and, and uh, God had put a lot of um, very influential men in my life, um, I started to really grow in my faith. And uh, I saw the changes and benefits that that had on me, my life, and my family, and I wanted to share that. So I think it starts with kind of living that out in your everyday life, so um, through my actions and words. But then I thought, you know, um, there's something more to this, and we need to do something else. So I sent out an email saying, you know, redefining greatness, Monday morning, 8.30. And it was pretty vague. Um, got everyone in the whole office to show up, because 
you know, they were curious and uh, kind of talked about what it was going to look like. So uh, we get together at 8.30 on Mondays and, and uh, it's, you know, we kind of start off with, you know, how the, how's everybody's weekend, kind of some, some check-ins. And then um, this last six weeks, we've been going through um, how to love one another. So we've been following a little bit of what uh, College Wesleyan has done. Um, in the past, we've covered things like hunger, habits, humility. Uh, we really just discuss life. The meetings on Monday have been more personal than a church atmosphere. And, and I can't necessarily say that for certain, for, for me it is. And, and maybe if I attended church regularly, I would think differently. Um, but for right now, this is my church. We're a family and I think it's important that we come together. We come together, we love on each other. We provide an opportunity for people to learn about Christ. Um, and we kind of walk through life. They're co-workers growing together and learning together and talking about more life struggles um, and things that, you know, make them uncomfortable and, and just relating, you know, opening up, you see that maybe something that you think that you're the only person struggling with, you're absolutely not, you know, it, it's, it's more personal with these groups and I just, I love it. It's, it's really been incredible. You know, God's been doing, uh, I mean, well, there's a lot of different personalities involved and, and just watching um, the shift in people. Um, saying this the correct way, but they're things that only God could do. Um, some of these shifts, I've worked with people for 10 years and just seeing their heart and seeing people open up and really, um, you know, want more. And it's, it's, it's been incredible. This was very uncomfortable for me to get started, um, to kind of get out of my shell. But uh, I think the thing that kept me from doing it six months ago was fear. You know, I you had the fear of being judged or what are people going to think about me or it's work, can I do it? It's voluntary at our office, by the way. But um, yeah, there's there's fear involved. I think there's fear in lots of areas of life and just be confident. And what I found is it's been so rewarding um, and coming from a spot of where I wasn't comfortable praying in front of people just a few, a few years back to leading and closing in prayer and having these discussions. So um, I think most of our growth happens in the most uncomfortable stages of our life. I think our next step from the gathering is trying to get people to pursue on their own. So what does that look like? You know, in the five steps that, that Steve talks about. Uh, so there's a lot of things we can do there. There's a lot more, I think, to come. Uh, this is just kind of scratching the surface. Man, oh man, the most powerful thing about Trent. Trent, are you here? Good. He's not. <laughs> the most powerful thing about what Trent is doing is that he doesn't know what he's doing. That's the most powerful thing about it. He decided to do something before he knew what he was doing. See, the trouble we have when we know what we're doing is we always worry about doing it right. But when you know, I don't know what I'm doing, but I got to do something, it's amazing what happens right after that. God starts moving things that only God can move. And people start caring in ways that you could never make them care. So rather than take all of these experiences and try to pigeonhole them into this kind of structure of answers that he has, he's always just like, I don't, he called me earlier this week and he said, I had to lead them in prayer because the last session was on prayer last week. Well, they don't pray. They haven't. So he went into the meeting and he went to, completely unprepared. I don't know how to teach people who don't pray how to pray. So he got into the meeting and said, have you guys ever prayed? Yes. What do you pray? Some of the answers were, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. 
He said, have you ever had an answer to prayer? One of them said, yeah, I can't believe this. Just last Friday, I needed something and I didn't. So I asked somebody to pray with me and they prayed and it happened. He played off of that and said, would you like to pray now? Silence. (laughs) How about if I just start the sentence, you finish it. Father, today I'm thankful for. He said, Steve, every one of the 22 except for two prayed out loud. That amazing? He said they were bawling and hugging at the end of the week. They were were having what churches call revival (laughs) right there in a boardroom. Now, where he learned some of this was from the men's basketball team. He became friends with uh, Greg Tonegal and Jeff Clark. And there's a lot. The stories of what God is doing over there is like crazy Good, but one of the neat things that happened a few years ago in you guys' life is they decided the most important thing was to make disciples. And a funny thing happened along the way. When they made making disciples the most important thing they do, they started winning. Now you'd think those were two different things. So what I learned from them was, if you want to get better at what you're doing, whatever it is, put your career second. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he will add everything else. You don't even know how he's going to do it. But he has angles that you have or don't have and can't see coming. If you will just say, I'm going to take some people on and start to affect the way that they think and live with God, you'd be surprised what God can do. Mark DeMichael, I was with his group just a couple of weeks ago, and this is Mark. He's got the circles on the cover of the board. Mark's been, what's it, 13 years? Is that right? 14 years? You've been the AD? What? 11 years. It just seems like 14, right? It, <laughs> and something has happened in Mark's life in the last few years as well. I mean, I've met with um, he and Jeff, who's the assistant, and, and um, I just watched the fire that God is building in his life. And then I go into his office and I talk about this coach or that coach. And what is shocking to me is that he knows far more about the person's individual life than he does their win-loss record. So what I learned from him was everybody needs a pastor. Everybody needs a pastor. Every vocation needs a pastor. They don't know what it's called. And they don't know who it is. But everybody needs somebody around them who looks after them spiritually. And the moment that you posture yourself in that way, it increases your leadership capacity. Also in the field of athletics is a man I met named Matt Hines. He's here this morning. Uh, Matt is an assistant basketball coach at Huntington North High School. Got an email from Matt not long ago, and he just said, uh, Steve, God is moving on my heart right now, and I know that I have to do something, but I don't know what I got to do. And so uh, I work in a secular high school. I'm an assistant basketball coach. What do I do? Well, I'm like, well, how am I supposed to know? So I called Jeff because he knows something about basketball. And I said, you want to come meet with me at Bob Evans? We're going to meet this guy named Matt. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I know him. 
said, well, let's go meet with him and find out what's happening uh, in his life. So Matt, I'm going to have you come forward for a moment. And uh, do we have a microphone? So I'll just use this one. Yeah, this will work right here. I'm going to hand you this one because I got one. And I think what I'd like you to tell us is from the moment you said to me, um, you know, I just feel that God wants to do something in my life. And we met at Bob Evans. And I'll be honest with you, when that was over, I went away and, uh, and I, was, I didn't know it was what was going to happen. I knew Kevin also was calling you like every week or texting you every week just to kind of check in. How are you doing and things? Uh, but what happened? How did you, uh, what did you decide to do? Well, I think part of it all started, um, you know, I, I did have that tug on my heart to do something, um, and I kind of felt like I was just going through the motions for a while in my, my spiritual life, and, uh, and so that's when I reached out to you, um, and a big piece of that was me just being willing to take that step, Yeah. Um, you know, feeling like that for a while and having encouragement from my wife to do that. Uh, was was the first thing and I think sometimes just for those that, that lack courage just take that first step you know what I mean I think that's that's huge um, you know I'm, I'm not a person like even this is uncomfortable for me right now but um, <laughs> you're doing really well <laughs> but, by the way but I think uh, I took that step and from there um, you know I, I think I told you before the service I was so focused on um, my own spiritual life how I could grow that once I started investing in others and taking that step, took my eyes off myself, yeah. I started to grow. Yeah, and, um, and, you know, God put some, some influential people in my life. Uh, you know, Kevin also, we, we started doing an accountability and we meet yeah. once a week as much as possible. And, yeah. uh, Jeff yeah. Clark has been, been very instrumental in my life as well. So yeah. uh, you need people. I was trying to do it alone for a long time. You need people. So, so what are you doing now? Right now we... Uh, uh, I kind of felt a call when we were going through the, the one another community, um, and, uh, and to start that, you kept talking in terms of a team, and uh, I, I decided to go through each, each of those steps. So right now, we just finished uh, week four. We just talked about forgiveness yesterday, 9.30 every Saturday morning, meeting with our varsity team. So there's 13 kids um, that we wow. make optional to come. Uh, we've had anywhere from eight to 10. Everyone has been there at some point, but there's three or four that come every other time. Uh, we've not had all 13, so your prayers would be appreciated for that. Now, so. you had to get permission to do this though, right? We did. Uh, I, I felt like I should anyway. I talked to our head coach, and for a long time, I felt like one reason why I couldn't do this was because um, I wasn't the head coach. I don't make the decisions. And, uh, you know, my wife told me for about a year, you don't have to be a head coach to yeah. lead a small group. And uh, she was right. So yeah. um, she usually is. But <laughs> um, so I started doing this. And, um, you know, that, that was it's been, um, you know, something that I went to the athletic director with our head coach and then even our principal. And um, they were not hesitant at all. So. Um, it, it's been really, it's one of those things kind of again, just taken off. Yeah. You just do the thing you're supposed to do and yeah. then what you can control, God controls and it usually works out. Yeah. So you're in a secular high school, right. um, translation of this, how you translate this. I mean, you can't, I'm assuming go into the, to the team meeting and say, come to Jesus. So are you, are you saying we're getting that? there? 
Oh, good for you. Our, our, uh, oh, our principal, it. when I talked to our principal, he is a, a strong Christian man. And he said, we're a little looser here than we probably should be. But he said, um, you know, that's, I believe, I believe in that. And he said, oh, just that's do what you want to do. So. Beautiful. So how do we pray for you as you, as you go back? What's the greatest challenge? You know, our, our kids come from uh, good homes, uh, just to be honest. But I don't know the, the spiritual depth and so mm. I think I want to get to knowing these kids on, on a different level, uh, a yeah. deeper level. And I think that's uh, the biggest thing. Yeah. And then sometimes for me personally, I want to see results right away, you know, yeah. and yeah. just to understand that that seed's being planted. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. Can you give, help me? Give, thank you, buddy. Thank you, man. For sure. What I learned from Matt, Matt calls himself a Moses figure that doesn't like to speak in public. And so the, you know, kind of the, the intimidation factor was so high, I knew I had to get him up here uh, because he would, he would fit so many of you. But what I have learned from Matt by watching this is influence is not related to position. It's related to vision. If God is laying something on your heart, it doesn't matter what your position is. You work from within that position. You have to follow the channels. I'm also learning that. You have to follow the channels. But influence, which is what you probably really are craving, is not related to position. It's related to the vision. So what you'll need is not the position. You'll just need courage. And what you'll find probably as he is, is that influence is what you were craving all along. You were just mistaking it for position. So then I go from there to uh, Grant Cerny's group over in uh, IWU. Uh, and this is what they were drawing on the board. And that looked strangely familiar to me. I thought that's got to be quite a Bible story. I'm, um, it, there, uh, th this is a group of, uh, um, Grant, can I just, these are like, these are blue collar, get it done. Did you get your deer kind of guys, right? And the, I mean, they love each other and they, uh, Grant has created an environment there where they are bonding together in powerful ways. Uh, um, but Grant is leading them through some of the stuff we're talking about. And I got an email from him just this last week and he went, man, the guys are leaning in this morning. They're talking about joining a conversation that has already started. They're talking about the image that they have of God before they pray. He said it, it was a powerful meeting. And by the way, this is all done before they go plow your snow and fix engines. That's what they do for a living, but this is the core of that team right now that Grant's putting together. And again, I see the same theme. I see someone just saying, this I think is what God wants me to do, so I've got to do something. Shannon uh, White is, was the biggest surprise. I put together a group of um, 21 people in our church that were involved in making disciples outside of the church. And what I discovered is those 21 people have an audience every week of more than 200. About 90% do not attend college church. So there's almost like this other church that's happening out there. And in that meeting, the biggest surprise was Shannon. Everybody in it said, I, I, I didn't know she was doing this. So she works at Hope Bridge and she would come up here, but she is uh, even more like Moses. And so she won't, but uh, this, 
But the story is uh, that she really felt compelled to do this. She said, I'm in a meeting with someone just last week. He had just gotten out of prison and she was trying to bring this family back together. And while I'm sitting in the meeting, hearing the details, I'm thinking to myself, not only how do I find them a job and how do I get them a better community? I'm sitting there thinking, man, people, you need Jesus. Man, he would change your life. And so what she's done was starting taking the morning stuff that we're doing on Sundays and making it part of their training sessions. And it was going marvelously until week four. They got to confess and forgive. That was pretty blatant. And someone from the organization came in and said, we're not going to do weekly meetings. We're going to do monthly meetings and you won't be doing them all anymore. So it seemed like we were at an impasse. Shannon said, but I'm from Kentucky and we don't take that well down there. <laughs> she waited a few days and decided to go on Facebook and just say, well, all right, if this isn't a training session, this is a flat out Bible study and prayer. Are you still interested? And now there's more than 20 people have already signed up to be part of that organization. What I've learned from her and I've learned from Steve Quatter is that there are people who work in environments where you can't, uh, well, it's what Shannon said, Steve, everybody wants what Jesus provides. They just don't want Jesus. They want resurrection and life. They just don't want the I am. And so they come to church differently. When they sit where you're sitting, they're asking themselves a different set of questions. Not how does this service today feed me, but how do I translate what I'm hearing today into principles that I can fit into any context? That's an art. I still don't know the code to that, but there is a code that people have learned and they listen differently in services, and then they translate principles later on. That's what I'm learning from Shannon. The last person I want to introduce you to is uh, Roger Younts. He uh, runs an organization called Kenwell Academy. Come on up, Roger. And I was with them just this week. And um, what these guys do, uh, if you're not familiar with Kenwell, you know what? Here's a microphone. Tell us what is Kenwell. Ken was a private alternative school who partners with public schools. So uh, we partner with uh, Marion High School, Miss Cinema, Oak Hill, and Eastbrook uh, to take their students who are kind of uh, not succeeding in their system, in the public school system. Most of the time that's due to discipline problems. It could be pregnancy or attendance, family issues, something like that. Um, we meet with the public school principals. They send a student uh, to us uh, for a, a variety of reasons. Then it's our job to kind of rehabilitate them in a sense. Um, they could transfer back to the public school or they could graduate with us. So what I'm learning from you um, as, as I watch you deal with kids that come from pretty hard situations um, is uh, you have a passion in your heart to get these kids not just back on the right track, but also followers of Jesus. What I'm learning from you is the power of life over death. I started the message talking about grave wrappings and a lot of these kids have them. Can you, can you talk a little bit about some of the things you've seen God do in this organization? Yeah, we've been doing it for seven years uh, and 
again, we're a faith-based school. I didn't include that part. We are faith-based, so oh. it's a pretty neat uh, contrast there that we have most of our students are far from a faith-based home life, but we get to present the gospel as much as we'd like. Uh, so it creates some cool situations. Um, one of the more recently, since we started this series, uh, it's kind of changed the way I think about interacting with students. As the director of the school, I do a lot of discipline, uh, and I oddly enjoy that. Uh, I like the conflict uh, and the confrontation. Uh, but I've always thought it as like, so because I like conflict and confrontation, it's my job to say, hey, that was a dumb thing you just did there. That's because I felt comfortable doing that. Uh, but I'm learning now through this that uh, things are much more effective if I just ask questions and, and learn more about uh, the student's situation. A couple weeks ago, we have a student named Ron who uh, is just awesome. He's super funny. He grew up in Chicago um, with his dad who was fairly successful and his dad passed away uh, due to kidney failure. Uh, and he had to move to Marion with his mom who mom was a drug addict. And uh, mom, her house was eventually raided uh, Ron was kind of caught up in that. During that time, he was uh, selling drugs with his mom. He had got caught with firearms, and uh, he was 14 at the time. And so he got sent away. He spent time at Paddock View uh, for about a year, then transferred back to Marion High School, which quickly went south, and then he got sent to us at uh, 15. Yeah. And uh, so instantly, you just Ron's very charismatic. He's funny. He's a really good dancer, which is awesome. <laughs> Uh, and so he, he often captivates everyone's attention. Uh, but there was one day in particular, uh, a, a teacher asked Ron to get back to work and Ron cussed out the teacher. Uh, pretty common, that happens with us. Uh, but I pulled Ron to the back and normally this is a very quick conversation. Hey, don't talk to people like that. This is what manners look like, blah, 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 blah. Um, but Ron, I just, I pressed in with just one question of, hey, what happened there? And Ron just started unloading. Uh, and it was just kind of babble. It's like just repeating the same thing and just going and going and going. Uh, and like, I'm just learning now to just, it's okay to be quiet. Uh, I'm a talker. I like giving advice and I'm learning that over the seven years, that's rarely done anything positive. And so I'm trying to say less. Uh, and as Ron just kind of finished, he was just kind of quiet and he kind of put his head down he had his hands over his face and, and I'm just kind of looking at him and keeping in mind that, uh, God's already having a conversation yeah. about Ron yeah. right now. Yeah. Uh, and so it'd be much better for me to hear what that conversation is. And so I'm just trying to listen and Ron's just kind of quiet and all of a sudden tears just start going down his face. Uh, and, he, and he says, man, I just got a lot going on, Raj. Just got a lot going on. And uh, I'm just looking at him and go, what's going on, buddy? What's, what's up? And he picks his head up and he wipes his eyes and he goes, I just don't know this stuff. I, don't, I can't do school. I'm just not smart. I don't know this. <laughs> And uh, so we're getting closer to the root of the issue, which the, we saw the cussing out in the classroom was just a result of, of him feeling dumb because he doesn't know the material. Uh, and so it's easier to not try and talk to friends than to try to drudge your way through Shakespeare with a fourth grade reading level. Yep. Uh, and so I just started to encourage him and just say, oh, dude, I don't know this stuff either. We got smart teachers to do, so let's talk to them. And uh, so I'm just trying to encourage him a little bit and all of a he puts his head back and he puts his arms over his head uh, and he changes the subject completely to another student who I was talking about who's in really a deep poverty situation. He just starts unloading how he wants to help this student, help this other student. He goes, can we, can we take her shopping next week? And it's, it's on me. I want to buy everything. I want to take her shopping because he gets a check from his father passing away. And uh, so he wants to take her shopping. It was just a weird shift to where now he wants to start helping people. Uh, and so I just start encouraging more and say, man, you're already helping people with making them laugh. And uh, all of a sudden, this, this 
thing came out of my mouth that I have no, no idea how I'm going to fill it, but I said, dude, I want to hand you a diploma and I want to hire you when you graduate. And he just starts bawling and he's covering his face and he just, he looks at me and goes, I love you so much, Raj. Wow. <laughs> and I, that's the response we're always looking for. Uh, and I never got because I usually ran my mouth too much, but just by being quiet and yeah. listening and asking questions, uh, it got him to a deeper place. And I think what's neat about that is I feel like he was discipled through the encouragement that we hear and, and the serving and that kind of thing. But I felt like I was discipled uh, yeah. through that conversation. That's beautiful. Man, oh man, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you, buddy. That's powerful. Last story. So I'm, uh, a few weeks ago, I went over to see Trent's um, uh, church that's in his boardroom, and there's 22 people. I think 15 of them uh, are not part of a church, if, if I got the numbers right. And I, I said, I want to sit in the corner. I don't want you to introduce me. Don't allude to me. Don't even know that I'm there. I want to watch. I want to read faces. And we got partway through that week, and it was on confess and forgive. And this is the dialogue that I heard. One of the people at the table said, um, I used to be Catholic, and I married Catholic, and it didn't go well. So I went in to see a, the priest, Father Tom. And he told me everything I should do to make my life better. I wrote it down. And I thought, I'm not going to do this. And I told him, I left the church. He said, she said that marriage uh, ended in divorce, and I married again, this time for love. And uh, right now, things in my life are not going well again. And all of a sudden, Trent um, knows the person's name. And he takes one step toward the person and just said, what would it take for you to go back and have a conversation with Father Tom? Tell him he was right. Tell him maybe you'd like to re-enter the church. She says, I can't do that. I've been excommunicated. No one says a word, and in the silence, Trent turns around and writes two words on the whiteboard. He writes, Jesus forgives. And he takes another step toward the person and says, whatever you may feel of Father Tom and whatever you may feel about the church, the thing I want you to know this morning is that Jesus forgives. There isn't anything you've done or are doing now that Jesus is not eager to forgive. And why I tell you that is because I believe that's what's out there. And I believe that those people do not have access to church because most of them won't come. So what we need are people who are already in their lives making themselves available to be pastors, shepherds in a way, so that they have a point of access when they have a moment like that.
Later that day, I said, this is the stuff I've seen. I identified a person at the table. I said, I'm not sure where they're at right now, but I think you might want to check in. It looks to me like something is going on, and here was the discussion. Keith and Jacob, who are both helping Trent, leaned in and said, do you want me to talk to this person today? Trent said, no, I got it. By the end of the week, I'll have a conversation with them. And by the end of the week, they did. That's the kind of follow-up that happens when people who are not connected have a shepherd in their lives. And I told you that to say, Maybe God is calling some of you into this ministry of shepherding. What we know for sure in every instance is nobody knows what they're doing. And that's a good thing. So if it's holding you back, I don't know how to start. I don't know what to say. If you have the power to convene, you can do this. The rest we just make up in a way that fits the context. That's the second thing. Every situation is different. Some of them are gatherings. Some of them are one-on-one -on -one meetings in the morning or in the workout room or wherever. But there's people touching other people's lives, sharing the life of Jesus Christ. And little by little, they take off the grave clothes. The last thing I want you to know is if you do this, You'll not bring Jesus anywhere. He's already there. He is already active. He is way ahead of you. He just needs someone to get in the situation and call him out.